Being married to an identical twin is a very interesting thing. Um, when you're at family gatherings, you have to be careful uh, who you walk up and put your arm around. Uh, there's a lot of things that are kind of interesting, kind of having an inside look at uh, the bond that they have and, and getting to see how they both kind of see the world similarly and experience similar things. Uh, also, for me, it, it gives me some insight into when I hear things about twins, you know, my ears kind of perk up and I, I probably pay more attention. Uh, I did have a lot of twins in my family growing up, but didn't experience it as closely as I experience it now. And there is a unique, um, a, a unique thing related to, to identical twins. Um, and one of the things that is really fascinating to me is stories about twins that are separated at birth. Uh, it's not every day that you hear these stories about identical twins that were separated at birth. And it's not every day that you think this would be a really good sermon illustration. And so you go and Google it and find out that the day before, Tuesday of this week, this huge story breaks. I don't know if anybody saw this story in Kenya. There are two 19-year-old girls who were separated at birth. Uh, the mom went in to have, she thought she was having triplets. And she went home with two daughters but it turns out that one of the twins uh, wasn't one of those two daughters, and these two girls grew up separately, and by all these crazy circumstances, which I won't get into, I'll let you go look it up, uh, they found each other just, just recently, and now they're doing DNA testing, but if you look at it, it's, it's unmistakable. They're absolutely identical twins, but they've been reunited after 19 years, and just crazy twists and turns in this story that are just fascinating. They're seeking to answer the question, who are we, right? And to whom do we belong? You have two sets of parents now involved in this, trying to unravel all these things and do this DNA testing. To whom do we belong? And we saw last week how John described for us a similar type of separation at birth scenario. For John, there are only two categories. We see it in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 3. He says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John is saying you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. There's only two options, only two categories. And what was the thing that separated these two? They are separated by birth. They are separated by the new birth, which John talked about in that passage that we looked at last week. We are either born of God or we are not. So our passage for this morning, chapter 3, verses 11 to 24, is going to unpack the reality of verse 10. That there are only two categories. The reality that we either belong to God as his children who seek to love him and to obey him, or we belong to the devil as his children who follow him and obey his evil ways. And John doesn't just draw these lines here just to divide people. John's not interested in, in just blowing things up and, and making people hate each other. <laughs> It's actually calling for the opposite thing. But he's drawing these lines in order to reassure those whom God has rescued out of the world. 
he's writing so that those who have trusted in Christ, those who have believed in the gospel, would know that they have eternal life. That's John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John's very purpose in writing is for our assurance that we would know that we belong to God because of the new birth, because of what he has done for us. And we're going to see that in our passage today by this phrase, by this we know. We're going to see it three times, by this we know. And what better Sunday on the calendar than Easter Sunday to be reassured of who we are as the children of God because of Jesus' work on the cross for us and because of his victory over the grave on our behalf. Let's go to our text, 1 John chapter 3, 11 to 24. John writes, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. Abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that you would speak. Your servants are listening. God, help us to hear your word this morning. Help us to hear the truth of who we are in you, in Christ, because of the new birth. May your spirit testify to the truth of who we are. Testify that we belong to you if we believe in the name of your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John begins his unpacking, his explanation of verse 10 with a positive statement here about love for one another. The last part of verse 10 was speaking negatively. The one who does not love his brother is not born of God, is not a child of God. Verse 11 
He's saying, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is how we know that we are born of God. And he has said this similar thing before, the message that you have heard from the beginning. He's talking about the beginning of your Christian life. This is the gospel. Once you became a child of God, this has been the message that has been proclaimed to you and is true for you. Love one another. It's a command. It's not optional. And it's very proof that we belong to God by the way we love one another. But then in verse 12, John switches and flips to a very negative statement in verse 12 with a very striking example of what it means to be a child of the devil. And he points us to Cain. And he says, don't be like Cain. You remember the story of Cain, don't you? Genesis chapter 4, Cain is the first son, the first child born to Adam and Eve. He's the very first human being that's born from two other human beings. First child born into the world after the fall into sin. Talk about original sin, the sin that we inherit as children of Adam. And it didn't take a few generations, right? Wasn't, Cain wasn't the blank slate, and then, well, let's see how it works out with Cain, and then maybe Cain's grandchildren, well, they're the ones who started to, to act wickedly, right? No, the very first human being that was born to two human parents shows how sin rears its ugly head. And John's description here is very sobering. He says that Cain was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. Then he asks the question, why? Why did he murder his brother? And he answers, because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. This is the exact description that he gives in verse 10. He did not practice righteousness, and he did not love his brother. Cain is the ultimate example of the one who doesn't belong to God, who is not born of God. The title of the message this morning is Adam's Two Sons. So you're probably expecting John to say, little children, be like Abel and not like Cain. But that's not what John does. Instead, he continues to drill deeper and hammer home the reality of this divide. That the world will hate us if we belong to God. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Just as Cain hated Abel and murdered him. Just as Jesus promised his disciples in John 15 and John 17, as we saw last week, that they would be hated by the world. And so it goes from Adam's first two sons all the way until today. I wasn't originally planning to share this, but I was reading uh, this morning. I'm, I'm going through John in my personal devotional time, and I'm in John chapter 12, uh, reading through uh, J.C. Ryle's daily readings, which is a Morning and evening readings on the Gospels, 
if you're looking for something to, to read, to supplement and help your devotional reading, highly recommend this, uh, daily readings. And read this this morning, and this is just one of those, I knew I had to share this uh, with you all, related to this idea of the world's hatred of us. And he's talking about uh, John chapter 12, uh, where Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and, and dies, and he's talking about his own death, and then how we are called to, to walk with him and lay down our lives. He says, Christianity, like this, receives little from man. It is too thorough, too decided, too strong, too real. To serve Christ in name and form is easy work and satisfies most people. But to follow him in faith and life demands more trouble than the generality of men will, ta- will take about their souls. Laughter, ridicule, opposition, persecution are often the only reward which Christ's followers get from the world. Their religion is one whose praise is not of men, but of God, Romans 2.29. Yet to him that followeth, let us never forget, the Lord Jesus holds out abundant encouragement. Where I am, he declares, there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Let us lay to heart these comfortable promises and go forward in the narrow way without fear. The world may cast out our name as evil and turn us out of its society, but when we dwell with Christ in glory, we shall have a home from which we, never, we can never be ejected. The world may pour contempt on our religion and laugh us and our Christianity to scorn, but when the Father honors us at the last day, before the assembly of angels and men, we shall find that his praise makes amends for all. Do you think that the Christians in Sri Lanka this morning, 200 killed by bombs going off, 500 injured on Easter morning, going to church to worship, you think they need to be reassured of this message? You better believe it. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when people come and plant a bomb in your church and blow you up on Easter Sunday. It's worth it. Okay. I love it when God surprises us with sweet examples of his providence. Do you know how many, re- how many references there are to the resurrection in 1 John? Can you guess? There's one. 13 sections, 105 verses, and there's only one reference to the resurrection right here in the first half of verse 14. I didn't plan that. But how sweet of the Lord to let us land on this text on Easter Sunday. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. 
But I want to warn us. We need to be careful how we read verse 14. The second half of the verse is, because we love the brothers. It doesn't say, because we love the brothers, we have passed out of death into life. It's not because you have done the right thing and loved people enough, that is why you are saved. No, the because we love the brothers is the evidence that we have passed out of death into life. We know that it is true. We know that our resurrection is true because we display it in the way that we love our brothers and sisters in the church. And we're going to see more about that in the next paragraph. John then, he can't even explain this truth without using one of his favorite words, which we've seen over and over and will continue to see, the word abide. Or without making another very stark contrast. Verse, second half of verse 14 there in verse 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So there's the contrast here between abiding in death and having eternal life abiding in you. We saw this uh, a couple weeks ago. We read John chapter 15 uh, before we took communion, looking at the vine and the branches. Kids, I want to give you a challenge, okay, with permission of your parents, okay? I want you to go home this afternoon, and I want you to find either a tree or a big plant, a big bush, and I want you to go off, and I want you to snap one of the branches off, okay? And I want you to lay that branch down, next to the tree or next to the plant, and I want you to come back in like three or four days. And I want you to come back in a week. And I want you to see what happens to that branch. What happens to that branch that is not plugged in to the source of life? I was here this week. We had Palm Sunday, last Sunday, right? We had the, we waved the palms I was here on Wednesday or Thursday, and there was a bunch of unused palms that didn't get thrown in the garbage that were laying down here on the front pew. What do you think they looked like? Brown, brittle, could have just cracked them right in half, right? They weren't connected to the source of life. That's the picture John is giving here of abiding in Christ. If you're a Christian and you say, I don't need to be connected, right? I don't need... I don't need to be in, in the vine and, and with my brothers and sisters. I'll just do it alone. You can't do that. We must abide in the vine. And the vine is the second of Adam's two sons that I mentioned earlier. And it is him that John tells us about in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What is true love, and how can we know it? We look to the cross. Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. Jesus is the anti-Cain. 
He is the opposite of what Cain did. Cain murdered his brother. Jesus was murdered for us. So that we might live. So that we might abide in him. And that we might experience eternal life. Jesus was a son of Adam. You see that in Luke's genealogy. The son of Adam, the son of God. He was a human as the son of Mary. But Adam was not his father by birth in the sense that Adam is our father. Jesus did not inherit Adam's sinful nature. Jesus didn't have the being born into the world as a child of the devil problem that we all come into this world with. His perfect, sinless life was sacrificed and laid down so that all who trust in him might truly live. And this is the good news of the gospel that we celebrate, particularly during Holy Week. That we have passed out of death into life because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of his resurrection from the grave on Easter morning. But it doesn't just stop with acknowledging what Jesus has done to save us. We are called to be like him. We are called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And John gets very practical here. Again, remember, John heard Jesus say that the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Not because they would have some irrefutable evidence. Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to leave my grave clothes stacked real neatly there. And I want you guys to set up the Jesus Resurrection Museum. So for, that the, so for the rest of human history, people can come and people can see and people can have proof that I really rose from the dead. He could have done that, right? But he chose not to. He said they will be convinced The world will see, not because they come and see some artifacts. They will be convinced by the way that you love one another. We talk about this a lot here at Livingstone. Our vision as a church, you see it on the front of the worship guide. We are a community of Christ followers called to know, love, and serve God and others. We're reminded every week as we come in and we see that. One commentator said, Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. That's what verses 17 and 18 are talking about. And that's what we're seeking to do. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or, ch- or talk, but in deed and truth. What does this practically look like? It looks like when our dear sister falls and breaks her leg, that we rally together and praise God she's with us today for the first time in months. We rally together. And we make meals and we offer to help with the kids. We bear one another's burdens. Or when somebody moves, we're on it, right? 
go pack up the moving truck. And as sad as it is to see them leave, we, we send them off with God's blessing. Or when babies are born, we rally together and we offer meals, we babysit. It's not just words on a page that we're called to love and serve and, and know one another. It's not just word or talk, but it's deed and in truth. And we hope that it extends beyond the walls of this church out into our needy community and our needy world. That's why we do mercy ministry. Another commentator says this. He says, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Right? We had a great discussion at our community group on Wednesday night. Thank you, Lexi, for raising this question. Who is the brother that, is, that we're talking about here? Is it those inside of the church? To which I think the, the immediate answer is yes here in this context. And we discussed that there is a strategic priority of love for our brothers. This is how the world is going to see that the gospel is true. Because we love one another. So it starts here. James pointed out Galatians 6.10. Where Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our love for one another should take priority. And it should be visible to the world. Which is what John's talking about here. It's an external display for the world to see. And up until this point, John has been focusing mainly on that external element. But now he's going to shift gears a bit. And he's going to talk about our hearts and our prayer lives and our faith. Before he comes back again to talk about our love for one another. If you've ever read 1 John, like in the past, or if you've been following along and maybe preparing for this morning, and you've read verses 19 and 20, if you're like me, you read that and you're like, I just, I just can't like wrap my mind around what John is saying. Thankfully, when I experience something this, like this and I go to a commentary and they say, this verse is grammatically very difficult and commentators can't agree on how to translate it. Um, I'm like, okay, good. Like, nobody else really knows what this means either. Um, and, but don't get hung up. There are, there are things like this that are hard to understand. But the point is here that our hearts and our consciences speak condemnation when God has already spoken to us deliverance and acquittal. The message of this age is follow your heart. There's a German rock band named the Scorpions. Some of you may be familiar with them. They started in 1965, and they just had their 50th anniversary in 2015. 2017, they put out a, a, a new album. Uh, it's called Born to Touch Your Feelings, 
best of rock ballads. And it's a bunch of their songs, their old songs. There's some new songs on it. And they did a remake of the song that came out in 1984 called Follow Your Heart. It's a reminder to my generation of the message that we have been told, that we have been taught since we were little kids. Most of my life, I was born in 1980, the song came out in 1984. I think this is a fitting message that has been pumped into my generation. Follow your heart. Listen to the chorus of this song. This is the time for yourself to be free. You gotta follow your heart. This is the time in your life, and it's never too late to see the light in the dark. you got to follow your heart. And John says, don't. Don't follow your heart. It's going to deceive you. It's going to speak words of condemnation to you. Follow God. He knows everything. He's greater than your heart. talks about the confidence that we can have before God if our heart does not condemn us. We can have confidence before him. We can receive what we ask for in prayer because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Verse 22. If we read this incorrectly, or if we read it and take it the way it could be taken, it could make us a little uneasy, right? God is not a genie in a bottle. It's not, I'm just going to do the right thing, say the right thing, and then whatever I ask, poof, I'm going to get it. Just be good, and God will give you what you ask for. It's not what John is saying here. He's saying that we can have confidence that God will hear and answer our prayers because of our faith in Jesus and our love for our brothers. Verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, because faith in Jesus is obedience to God's commandments. Because faith in Jesus is what pleases God. Because faith in Jesus is the only way that God is going to hear our prayers. And because faith in Jesus is the only way to the Father. John ties it all up very nicely here in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. We have that phrase again. And by this we know. Where is our assurance? By this we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given us. So, to state this negatively, if you don't believe in the name of Jesus and you don't love one another, then then God does not abide in you by His Holy Spirit. No Jesus, no Spirit, no God in you. To To state it positively, a quote from Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 8 is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible on assurance. 
you wrestle with assurance of your salvation, I would encourage you to go home and read Romans chapter 8, maybe memorize the whole chapter, meditate on it often. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Same thing John is saying. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Listen now to verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not some optional choice on the salad bar of religious pluralism. Okay? It's not, well, maybe I'll take the resurrection and maybe I'll take a little of this and a little of that. It's not optional, okay? It's essential, No resurrection, we're still children of the devil. We're still murderers in whom there is no eternal life abiding. We are like Cain, Adam's first son, and unlike Jesus, Adam's far-off son, if we don't have the resurrection. I want to shift the focus from Cain to Adam himself. And I want us to see the contrast between Adam and Christ. As we prepare to come to the communion table, I want us to remember that this table is for all of those who are in Christ. It's for all of those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who believe in his name and who love one another who have been born of God, who have been filled with his spirit, and who have tasted the resurrection hope that we have in Christ. I'm going to read from a few things from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I do, I would invite you to quiet your hearts, uh, to meditate on these truths, and to take as much time as you need before you come forward to receive the elements. When you do come forward... um, We have regular bread here. There are gluten-free wafers if you need those. There is red wine and white grape juice. We'll take the elements. We'll return to our seats, and we will all partake together. Uh, For kids who are not taking communion, we'll pray for them. Again, I'm going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I would invite you to listen to God's word, to listen to these truths that Kind of wrap up and and sum up what we've been talking about here. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most 
to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated, to be destroyed, is death. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.